0: Church, let me invite you to open up God's word with me this morning to the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 29 today, Exodus chapter 29, and as we consider what it means to be uh, consecrated, to be set apart, as we consider what it means to give ourselves fully to the Lord and to his work, inviting him to be the King of our hearts, to take His throne upon our hearts. I want us to look together this morning at a consecration service in the story of God's Word, in God's Word, in the Bible itself. So if you're a guest of ours, or perhaps you haven't been with us for some time, we've been journeying through this portion of the Bible. We've been looking at the Book of Exodus, and today we come to exodus chapter twenty nine and this is most often our practice to to, to journey through portions of god 's Word significant portions sizable portions of god 's word in this way because we believe that all of Scripture is the Word of God and that it is useful for us uh, as believers living today and that it is best understood and only really understood in its context and so we want to dive into that this morning. But I'll just have to be transparent with you. It's it's challenging. It's challenging to look at a text like this as followers of Jesus living in Birmingham, Alabama today, because anytime that you open the word and you're charged with teaching the word or preaching the word or explaining the word, you're balancing, particularly in a text like this, you're balancing explanation uh, and exhortation. So explanation, diving into what does the text say? Uh, What are these details for? What did it mean? How was it heard? Why was it done in this way in its original setting? Uh, And then how does it apply to us as people of faith living today that feel so far removed from this portion of God's word? And so I want you to know that tension is there. Uh, and and perhaps uh, some of you want to, to dive deeper and explain more and unpack more uh, along the way. And let me encourage you to do so, to dive into the text. Uh, if you're wanting to go deeper in, in Bible study tools and explanation, uh, please see me. Please see one of our pastors. Please see a Sunday school teacher. We want to encourage that sort of in-depth study of God's Word, but for others, I know you, you want to know, what does it mean and how does it affect me? And so we want to, to balance both of those things as we hear God's Word for us today. And so as we look at His Word, we do acknowledge once again that it is His Word that we're reading and we want to hear from Him. And so one of the ways that we do that here at Meadowbrook is we stand together for the reading of God's Word. So let me invite you to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's Holy Word I'll be reading Exodus chapter 29, verses 1 through 7, and then sliding down toward the end of the chapter, picking up in verse 38. But let's hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is speaking to Moses. He says, this is what you are to do to consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect, and from the finest wheat flour make round loaves without yeast. Thick loaves without yeast and with olive oil mixed in and thin loaves without yeast and brushed with olive oil. Put them in a basket and present them along with the bull and the two rams. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Take the garments And dress Aaron with a tunic, the robe of the ephod, the ephod itself, and the breastpiece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred emblem to the turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Skipping down to verse 38. The Lord says, this is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs a year old offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. With the first lamb, offer a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with a quarter of a hen of oil from pressed olives and a quarter of a hen of wine as a drink offering. Sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning. A pleasing aroma A food offering presented to the Lord. For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites and the place will be consecrated by my glory. Verse 44, so I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. Would you bow with me? Father, this morning we do acknowledge that you are the Lord, our God. Lord, that you are the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, Father, that you are king of the nations. Lord, that you are the almighty maker of heaven and earth, that there is no one like you, and you are worthy of our praise, and you invite us to be your people. Father, instruct us now according to your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as the preacher proclaim the word that summer night at youth camp, I knew that God was speaking to me. This 17-year-old felt called to give his life to vocational ministry, to serving the Christ who saves, to sharing and showing the love of Jesus so that others might know the joy of following Jesus. In a nutshell, that was my call to ministry, to Christian ministry. I didn't know where it would take me, had no idea where it would take me, but I can assure you that it scared me. But I sensed without a shadow of a doubt that the Lord was speaking to me, and so I began the process of preparation for ministry. Now, I'm a preacher and I'm your pastor, but I'm not your priest, you know, some Christian traditions retain that title and that particular office, but not ours, at least not in that way. In fact, as we consider this text, as we dive into this text, as we want to hear from the Lord through his word through this text today, as Christian readers, we need to hear two guiding truths about priestly ministry, the priestly ministry that we were introduced to last week in the previous chapter, two truths. And here they are, two guiding truths. Number one, Jesus fulfills our need for priestly mediation, Jesus fulfills our need for priestly mediation, meaning Jesus is our representative. He is our representative Aaron, Moses' brother. And Aaron's descendants, his sons after him, who would assume that office, the high priestly office, represented God to the people and represented the people before God. They played a mediational function, approaching the holy God through sacrifice on behalf of a sinful people. But as we pointed out last week, every single one of them fell short, grossly, short, except one. Their role was a temporary role, awaiting and anticipating the arrival of a permanent solution to human sin. The solution, you know, is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Paul would write, he would say, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus fulfills our need ...for priestly mediation. So we, lo- we, no- we no longer need another human priest. Through Jesus, we have direct and immediate access to God. Jesus fulfills our need for priestly mediation. And second guiding truth I want us to hear before we dive into this text... ...is this, that followers of Jesus are priests. Followers of Jesus are priests. If you're a Christian meaning that you have turned away from sin and you have trusted in Jesus for salvation, then you are a priest. John would say it this way in the book of Revelation. He would say to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Jesus saves Jesus saves, and he saves us to serve the Lord. He saves us to serve God. Through Christ, we have direct access to God. We speak to the people of the world on behalf of God, and we speak to God about people. This is a priestly ministry. We are saved to serve. God calls the saved to know and serve him. He calls all the saved, all those who've been forgiven of their sins and granted eternal life. He calls the saved to know And serve him. That's the central truth for us to see from the Bible today. It was true for the Israelites. And it's true for us. God calls the saved to know and serve him. To be set apart for ministry. To be set apart for ministry. So last week as we looked at the previous chapter. We read about these sacred garments. These elaborate garments that we said were representing sort of a mini tabernacle. In color, material, they resembled the tabernacle, the sanctuary of God, God's house among his people, these sacred garments that were to be made for Aaron so he would be fit to serve as high priest. And once the garb is ready, God says, set them apart to serve me as priest. Verse 1, this is what you are to do, to consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. So those bearing the sacred responsibility of representing God and facilitating proper worship must be set apart, God says, for that particular role. And so what follows in our text today, in our chapter today, is a seven-day ordination service installing Aaron as the leader of the priesthood. It's a time of preparation, It's a time of commitment. It's a time of sacrifice and prayer. It's a time of communion with God, a thorough reminder of God's holiness and of humanity's sinfulness and the need to come before Yahweh, the Lord, carefully and on His terms. And yet at the very same time, a reminder of God's provision, a reminder of His desire to be in relationship. With his people. Friend, God wants to be in relationship with you. Desires to be in relationship with us. Just this past week, I was reading and looking again at Psalm 139. And what a beautiful picture of God's knowledge of us. That's the Psalm that we The Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You you discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. David says before, a word is on my tongue. You know it completely. Oh, Lord God, you know all about me. There is nothing about me that you do not know. You know everything good and everything bad. You know the good, bad, and ugly about me. You know every tendency and every temptation. You know every sinful thought and every sinful deed. Before I even do it or think it, engage it. God, you know me full well. But he goes on in that same psalm. And that's where he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. God knows us that well. He knows everything there is to know about us. He's a holy God, a perfect God, a righteous God. He knows the depth of of our, our sinfulness. And yet he desires to be in relationship with us. He loves us with an unfailing love. He thinks about us constantly. He desires good for us. came across a quote this week from an 18th or a 19th century British preacher, James Smith, who, who said this about his congregation. He said, If some of my congregation knew me better, they would love me less. Certainly I can identify with that. But then he goes on and he says, yet my heavenly Father knows me well, favors me much, and loves me wonderfully. And friend, how true that is. That he loves us, that he knows us, that he calls us, that he invites us to be his, and he sets us apart for ministry. He desires to set you apart for ministry, a ministry under the authority of Jesus, our great high priest. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a broken vessel. And yet praise God that He specializes in using broken vessels and using folks like you and me. He desires to use you. Not simply to save you, not, not even just to enter a relationship with you through Jesus, but to send you as His servants to the people of The world. God calls the saved to know and serve Him set apart for ministry, cleansed from impurity, and clothed with righteousness. Cleansed from impurity and clothed with righteousness. God tells Moses to bring Aaron and his sons to the tabernacle, and to what? To wash them with water, verse 4. Clean them up. Rinse them off. Bathe them. Get them clean this spiritualized not just this wasn't just physical cleansing this was spiritual cleansing symbolizing spiritual cleansing the importance of serving god in purity our second service this morning we're going to have the opportunity to to witness a couple professions of faith through baptism through believers baptism and we want to celebrate with those that are professing faith in christ in that way but when a believer is baptized in the church today it's not a ritual washing But it's a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ, celebrating the removal of sin and impurity through the blood of Jesus. Now, after being washed, Aaron and his sons are to put on the sacred garments, they're to put on the tunic, the robe, the ephod, breastpiece and the turban with a headband that says, Holy to the lord remember that from last week that sacred emblem our text says this week that gold headband that gold plate that said holy to the lord reminding aaron that god considered him holy that god counted him holy accepting him into his presence and receiving his sacrifice on behalf of the people a representative Righteousness that anticipates the true and lasting righteousness of Jesus that is imputed to His people. Credited to the account of those who profess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Those who are His are cleansed from impurity and clothed with His righteousness. Are you one of His? Friend, have you been cleansed from impurity before God? Are you clothed with the righteousness Of Jesus Christ before the Father. Have you been cleansed from impurity and clothed with his righteousness? Have you been set apart for ministry and enabled by the Holy Spirit? Enabled by the Holy Spirit. After Aaron was washed and clothed, God said, Anoint him by pouring oil on his head. Verse 7. A symbol of empowerment by God's Spirit for the particular task at hand, a sign of setting someone apart for God's purposes, an expression of God bestowing his blessing and his power on his servants. You may recall places in the Bible where kings were anointed. Probably the most famous would be David, young David, the shepherd boy. remember Samuel going to Jesse's home and finding David and anointing him as the next king of Israel. God's prophets spoke of a coming savior and a coming king as the Messiah, which means the anointed one. Jesus is that promised Messiah. He is the Christ, the anointed one. And as followers of Jesus Christ, listen to what the Bible says about us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, God anointed us. God anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are priests. Priests under the authority of the great high priest, indwelt and enabled by the Holy Spirit to serve him faithfully, to serve the God who saves. Friend, God calls the saved to know and to serve Him, set apart from ministry, cleansed from impurity, clothed with His righteousness and enabled by the Holy Spirit. And yet, and yet, we still wrestle with sin. We still wrestle with temptations and tendencies of the flesh, the sinful self, with rebelling against God and acting as servants of self rather than God. I know I do. Been set apart and cleansed, enabled by His Holy Spirit, called to serve Him, and yet we still struggle with sin. Therefore, as sinners saved by God's grace, who still wrestle with sin, part of our ongoing devotion to the Lord must involve confessing sin and receiving God's forgiveness. Confessing sin and receiving God's Forgiveness. You see, in Moses' day, Aaron, the high priest, was set apart. He was cleansed, and he was clothed in righteousness, but he was still a sinner. And if the priest was going to be in God's presence, his sin first had to be forgiven. And nowhere, perhaps, is this more obvious, more apparent than in this consecration service. And so let me encourage you to go back this afternoon. Go back today and read the whole chapter Take in the full picture, the seven-day ordination service. God essentially says to Moses, you're going to need some animals. You're going to need a bull and you're going to need two rams, all without defect. Because before Aaron can serve me as priest and before the tabernacle can be used for worship, sin must be dealt with. The bull was a sin offering, purifying the people and the objects in this sacred space involved in the worship of God. Aaron and his sons would put their hands on the bull's head. Graphic sort of picture, a helpful picture, portraying the transfer of their guilt upon that animal so that God could forgive them as he accepted the animal on their behalf. And then the first Ram was offered as a burnt offering, a general sacrifice for sins, and as we read in verse 38, the priest sacrificed two of these burnt offerings every single day, once in the morning and once in the evening. So it reminds me, maybe you as well, if you've been driving down 119 toward Oak Mountain Middle School in Herdmont Park, the burn piles that are perpetually burning to burn the the brush the trees from the recent tornado burning day after day hour after hour night after night to deal with all of that brush on the bronze altar that we've examined already and looked at the lord's instructions for building in the courtyard outside the tabernacle this grill was constantly used in that way it was constantly burning it was constantly smoldering it was it was a perpetual Offering of sacrifice to the Lord. A reminder that no one can approach God apart from sacrifice. A place of continual bloodshed. But a reminder of God's substitutionary provision. A reminder of the constant need to confess sins and to receive God's forgiveness. And I know that we've said this before, but, but this text, we really pause and consider it. We may pretend otherwise as if we're sort of pious, religious, church-going people. But this stuff is crazy. Let's be honest. It sounds crazy. It sounds foreign. It sounds so distant to 21st century Americans living in North Shelby County, Alabama, who shop at Publix and the Fresh Market. Right? But a reminder... A significant and important reminder that the holy and just character of our God, of the only God, of the Almighty God, necessitates judgment for those who wrong him. And the Bible is clear, the word of God is clear, that all have wronged him. I have and so have you, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have wronged him. And so for centuries, century after century after century, God gave this system, the priestly and sacrificial system, to regulate a relationship between sinners and himself. Until one day... You know about that day until one day he sent the pure and perfect high priest to offer the once and for all sacrifice of himself on the altar of the cross. Friends, Jesus is our permanent priest and our spotless sacrifice sufficient to pay the debt and cover the sins of all to look of all who look to him in faith. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. A word of instruction to believers, to followers of Christ, to continually be confessing sin and receiving God's forgiveness. Not by a new sacrifice, but because of the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus the Christ, unlike the people in Moses' day who came day after day after day bringing animals of sacrifice. We don't come with temporary substitutes, but we come looking continuously to the all-sufficient substitute, enjoying peace and communion with God through Him. Friend, God calls the saved to know and serve Him, set apart for ministry, cleansed from impurity, clothed with righteousness, enabled by the Holy Spirit, confessing and receiving forgiveness, thereby enjoying peace and communion with God. Enjoying peace and communion with the one and only God. Friends, the end goal of salvation is communion with God. It is being in right relationship with our Maker. Are you at peace with God? Not because of anything you've done or achieved or accomplished or earned on your own, but because you have trusted in the one and only provision, the perfect provision of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Do you know and enjoy fellowship with God? Are you in relationship, right relationship with him? Do you have the joy of knowing and walking with him? You see, even before the coming of Christ, God invited these folks into relationship with him. He did. He saved them that they might know him and enjoy him and serve him. And so during these seven days of priestly ordination, the second ram that was sacrificed provided a meal, a sacred meal. A meal that was to be enjoyed by the priests in the presence of the Lord. Exodus 29, verse 32. At the entrance to the tent of meeting, Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that is in the basket. They are to eat these offerings by which... Atonement was made for their ordination and consecration, but no one else may eat them because they are sacred. A sacred meal for God's servants entrusted with a sacred ministry. Sound familiar? Church, we too participate in a sacred meal. We too are invited to eat in the presence of the Most High God. We too are invited to feast On the sacrifice, we too are invited to give thanks for God's provision of peace. We too are invited to communion with God through Jesus, remembering with the observance that bears that same name. Friend, that is God's desire for you. Meadowbrook, that is God's desire for you to know and to enjoy him as your God. And so he says, then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. What good news for sinners Saved by the grace of God. God rescues prisoners and he redeems slaves. He reconciles his rebellious children and he restores broken vessels. God saves. He saves that the saved may serve him. God calls the saved to know and to serve him. So, friend, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know the Lord who saves? Do you know this God? The Savior of sinners, the Redeemer, the Reconciler, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth who desires to be in relationship with you, who desires to be known by you, yes, now and forever. Do you know the Lord who saves, the Lord Jesus came to save you, that you might know Him as your God? Is He your God? Is He your God? Do you know the Lord who saves? And are you serving the Savior? Friend, are you serving the Savior? Are you serving Him? Are you a servant of God? With those who see you and know you say, He serves the Lord. Or she's a servant of God. Are you serving the Savior, the very one who came to serve you? Are you serving Him? God calls to save, to know Him and to serve Him. Do you know Him? Or are you serving Him? I promise you there's no greater joy. There's no greater delight. There's no greater satisfaction than to know the God who saves and to commit your life to serving Him. What does it mean to serve Him? Well, to begin with, it means surrendering to Him, relinquishing Authority, control to Him. Turning away from sin and trusting in His provision. Trusting in the provision of Christ. Surrendering to Him. And then it means living your life for His glory. Living your life with intentionality. Leading in the home. Instructing one another in the home. Instructing children in the home that they too might know and follow jesus it means living with intentionality in your neighborhood on your street as you seek to be a light shining for the gospel where the lord has placed you it means living with intentionality in your church family serving serving for the overall good of the body and the glory of jesus christ we have numerous even in the midst of covid we've got numerous opportunities to serve on a regular basis in prayer ministry ushering greeting in children's ministry, in student ministry, in a whole host of places, audio vision, We We benefit from the gift of each other and we glorify God as we commit our lives to serving Him. Are you serving Him? Perhaps for some, it may mean a life of vocational ministry. Whatever that looks like for you. Maybe you're wrestling with that. No, I would love to talk with you about that. Maybe it means following the Lord obediently through believer's baptism as we'll witness as a church family in our second service today. If that is you, I'd love to talk with you. But may each of of us, even today, even now, surrender our hearts before the Lord. May we be faithful in following Him. May we commit our lives to serving Him together. And Father, would you lead us to do that? Father, would you guide us to be faithful? Would you equip us... By your Spirit, would you remind us of our status before you, not because of anything we have done, but because of what you have done for us in Jesus. Father, lead us now as we respond to the truths of your word. We pray that we would do so in a way that exalts the name of Jesus in our hearts and with our lives. Father, lead us to worship you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.